signatures detected. Shield up. Signatures detected. Context Southfleet Command. What's happening? Co- context Southfleet Command. Delay that order. Context Southfleet Command. This is the captain. Context Southfleet Command. Get out of my chair. 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 We have engaged the Klingons. 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 Welcome to the greatest discovery. It's a new Star Trek podcast from the makers of the greatest generation. I'm Adam Pranica. I'm Ben Harrison. Adam, you got us in. You got us into the into the premiere. You didn't think we were going to get in. I didn't even bother asking. I had a lot on my mind. If you if you have to ask, you probably <laughs> don't deserve to go. That's been that's been a governing principle for me. Uh for my entire life, basically. For some reason, I asked. Yeah, I was I was amazed that you asked. I, I, I figured if I didn't, nobody would. And then I just... Oh, that's fair. Because you I, know you and you know me. Yeah. Uh, this also seemed to be a little bit... like I, I, I feel like they were more generous with the access on this one. It seemed like there were a lot of people in. Have we said what we're talking about? So there was a virtual premiere for the the first episode of Star Trek Discovery. And up until its premiere date, I ha- I was compulsively checking my email box. I was telling you to do the same. I was like, you know, when we got the virtual premiere invitation to Lower Decks, I thought we were on the list. Yeah. And here I am with, with my with my fucking podcast dick in my hand outside the velvet <laughs> rope going like, are, do we get to go to this party? Can I come in? Yeah. And I, I didn't think we were going to, we were going to get the invitation. And in fact, I thought we had done something wrong because yeah. uh, when we went to that first virtual premiere, I mean, we didn't, we didn't do anything bad. It, it was fine. It was fine and fun and we had a good time, but I was like, did we fuck that up somehow? And now we're not invited to things anymore. Turns out uh, all I needed to do was just elevate the email again. And they were like, oh, yeah, you're going to get a link in a half an hour. And and so we were sent those links. Squeaky wheels, oil, etc. And then I was like, right. oh, well, if it was that easy, we should have asked for them for Bill Tilly and Rob Schulte also. That would have been nice of us. Yeah, but that's that's the thing. Like this is every once in a while, like you're confronted with this awful choice and i think we've run into this in real life even at like sketchfest for example is like god we we kind of have people with us but we've been invited to a thing and and it's awkward to ask to bring other people to right. things that that seem to be very small and intimate so like this was not that right but this is just a a live stream <laughs> a live stream with individual codes so like the way it works is like we asked for links to the premiere we received the links and we were given individual passwords and then we were granted access to this portal and uh, the portal gave us the show and then an, and then a virtual after party with uh, different areas you could go to with like trivia and 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 a bar a virtual bar and like a Q&A with cast type people it's pretty rad they're doing the best they can with with all that's really possible like look this is the the zoom qualification of our lives basically yeah. is 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 what's happening here speaking of uh q a's with re- regard to star trek you also went to that star trek for joe biden campaign event this week i did which, which yeah. i i couldn't attend but uh, it seemed like you and our our friends from DC were in there cutting it up. I, I, I had to pick my wife up from something, and I was in traffic for like an hour. And when I got there, I had like over seventy text messages <laughs> on my phone. I'm sorry, that sucks. This <laughs> is like I'm just not. I'm gonna I'm gonna declare text message bankruptcy right here, right <laughs> now. Get it filed. Our best friends of DeSoto, uh, Sam from Washington D.C., uh, bought a bought a grip of tickets. Yeah, he did basically exactly the opposite of what you and I were discussing at the top of the show. He got extras for friends. What a guy! What a guy! Yeah. So, so these are friends that work in politics, and um, they have they actually were really kind and and gave us a bunch of basically free like 
prestige level consulting on how to set up our uh, greatest voters fund and like what kind of language we wanted to use in the messaging. And it was really cool because we like we had like a little Google Doc of like the text we were going to have on that. And we invited them to it and watched them just like whip it into shape. Like it was it was really exciting. And uh, I've been completely blown away by how many uh, donations the Greatest Voters Fund has gotten. Uh, it's bit.ly slash greatest voters if you haven't already gone. Uh, but uh, but what was the uh, what was the campaign event like? It was like cast members shilling for the candidate, right? It was like a, a crazier Zoom call than the Discovery premiere because it was like 16 cast members wow. all in one frame. <laughs> and a moderator, and uh, Marina Sirtis took it over. I'll, I just want to say that right now. Hell like, yeah. Like she, she got the <laughs> rebound, and she was throwing elbows under the hoop. Wow. And like, Potted plant no more. It was an unrestrained performance by Marina Sirtis. That's rad. Who was like throwing haymakers at Sir Patrick Stewart for not changing his citizenship the way that Marina Sirtis did. Like, wow. Like <laughs> she kind of went in on him in a pretty fun way. That's just one example of uh, of of how she was during the whole thing. She was a delight. Damn. Uh, but but so many so many Star Trek luminaries were a part of it. A lot of little breakout sessions. A lot of fun. Uh, political celebrity hosts was i correct in thinking that uh, every cast was represented by at least one actor yeah. it's true that's cool yeah. infinite cast combinations <laughs> uh, for all of these breakout panels it was a couple hours it was uh, it was really interesting and uh i mean an, an unsurprising uh position for for many people involved uh, with the with Star Trek and uh, in and around the Star Trek community, I think we're all thinking a lot alike about uh, about the direction our country needs to go, and the feelings were emphatic. That's good. And That's I, great. And I hope it I hope it was was convincing for some people. I, it's hard to tell. Like this seems like it may have been a situation where we're just talking to ourselves, uh, but. Um, if you're interested in Star Trek and you're on the fence and you intended the thing, maybe it moved your needle. And I and I hope it did because I think Star Trek values are are specific and good. And in this election, fairly obvious. Yeah, I'm hoping everybody listening has already registered and maybe even voted because early voting is already underway. You and I have both already yeah. voted, but um, if uh, if you have early voting as an option in your state, I would really encourage it because it's uh, it, it's going to be a challenge on election day for sure in a lot of places. And uh, you can kind of get out ahead of it by making a plan and uh, making sure making sure you execute that plan, making sure your vote gets in and gets counted is so important. So back to the uh, to the virtual premiere. Yeah. So Mary Wiseman's getting interviewed uh, after the first episode drops. And this this alert klaxon plays and something <laughs> comes down over the screen. Whoa. And I'm like, oh, God, like I'm finally getting kicked out of this thing. <laughs> also, by the way, uh, you and I are never given names at this thing. It's always user number 31 or something. Like everyone else gets a name in the chat window. Oh. I'm such an asshole, like complaining about the circumstances of the free thing I was invited to. Yeah, but, check your fucking privilege, Adam. <laughs> but anyway, I'm in there yucking it up as user number thirty-one <laughs> when uh, when the when the door on the thing closes and it and and I'm thinking it's over and instead because it happened mid-sentence, Mary Wiseman's answering a question and then the screen just locks. Yeah, and they're like, "Hey, uh, we've decided to show you the second episode." Of what? season one, and that's coming up next. Damn! And like thirty minutes later, there were several interviews after that. Uh, we got to see the second episode too. So you have seen two episodes of Star Trek Discovery. I, on the other hand, have only seen this first one. So now I'm consumed with jealousy. Yeah, I saw the first two, and uh, and we saw the first one together, which was pretty great. Well, uh, we watched it yesterday, we watched it again today, and now we're on the mic to do the very first episode of the third season of Star Trek Discovery. Let's get into it, Ben. It's season three, episode one. It's called The Hope Is You. 
part one. This opens with a little recap of the previous season, reminding us where we've been. And I, I, I was very grateful because I feel like I've had a lot of Star Trek intake since we last were with these characters. And also grateful for it because it just reminded me how much I love these characters. Like, there's a yeah. lot of Saru in the recap, and I just hadn't thought about Saru much. And I was like, oh, Saru, I love that guy. It was, it was like yeah. being reunited with old friends in a way. There's some stakes whiplash to be had here, too, because when you get this package, this pre-roll package before the episode, the stakes were so high yeah. in, the, in the second to last and last episode of season two. I mean, the stakes of this episode could not come even close to that by, right. by design. I love the way they toy with that, though. We've, we finish that package and then we have like a lonely man going through his morning routine with his hologram bird clock and his bed that is made out of nanoparticles or something, brushing his teeth in a holographic mirror. He works from home. Just like us. <laughs> his his bed is in the same room as his office. He doesn't have to hang blankets across the doorway because his wife was on a Zoom call in the other room, though. That's, that's our perfume here in the 21st century. Let me ask you a question. If you're, if you're your own boss, is 8 a.m. a late morning for someone who works every day? Like back when I used to work a real job, I was up before 7 and I was yeah. out the door by 7.30. But I guess if if your morning routine goes as fast as this guy's does, like right. he's from bed to work in a couple of minutes. And all his job is is like looking at a holographic map of the galaxy that says no signals found. So Yeah. He's got a very chill existence, I think. I've got some thoughts about this guy that I'm going to share at the end. Okay. Some dark thoughts. So. Oh, wow. But we don't come back here for a very long time. Yeah, we don't. Because we have cut directly to a Star Wars-style space battle in a, in a debris field. And it's between characters named Book and Cosmo, who looks vaguely Eridian, but I guess is not Eridian. He's got that uh, shock of curly hair on the top of his head, and he's always coming through doors in kind of a kind of a chaotic way. God, the the camera moves around so fast in space around this debris field. But if you if you pause and you enhance, uh, Ass Man is the license plate <laughs> on on the back of this guy's ship. Yeah, <laughs> pretty good. Uh, <laughs> he was actually almost late to this space battle because uh, he was trying to get like a discount on an air conditioning unit at the mall and then he forgot where he parked <laughs> he's a high school graduate Clear. Uh, this space fight gets interrupted because a giant space butthole appears out of nowhere from which uh, Michael Burnham and in her red angel suit shoots through and collides with Book's ship yeah Book sees this coming and can't quite get out of the way it's the last thing he needs right he's getting He's getting shots licked at his ship, and then time travel movie collides with car chase movie in a really fun way. The scene is so shocking. It shocks Book, it shocks Michael Burnham, and it shocks us because she hits the windshield of Book's ship so hard, she's instantly killed, and then we go to credits. I did not think that season three was going to be as short as this. And then we come back up and then like the chat window appears and uh, Alex Kurtzman's like, look, uh, COVID really changed how we had to do production. We had to we had to really scale back uh, the scope of season three. And we hope you liked meeting this new character, new couple of characters here. Uh, hopefully we'll we'll be up, be able to bring you a season four. Hopefully this was strong enough enough for us to be renewed for a fourth season. <laughs> Yeah, I I did not see it coming and neither did Michael Burnham, clearly. She is tumbling toward the surface of this planet and has to like reboot the entire system and reboots just in time to survive her crash landing. Um, I, I wondered why Cosmo uh, broke off Pursuit. I guess he just assumed that Book's ship was 
totaled in the in the crash and that the cargo was no good anymore they have a brief inter- exchange about why cosmos shooting at book and it, and it's something about uh, that cargo belongs to me and book replying she belongs to herself so that cargo is a she but we right. don't know much more than that no we get michael burnham waking up from her crash she has like she barfs some water <laughs> Which I thought was an interesting choice. It wasn't. It was not a can of Campbell's soup that she spits out of her mouth. It was like it was clear. It made me think about the abyss. Like I wondered if yeah. her atmosphere in there was was liquid in some way. There's more than one part of this episode that made me think about the abyss, and I'm glad you brought that up because this is yeah. definitely one of those moments. The territorial shots on this planet are straight out of a David Lean film, and I wanted to begin calling attention to that right away. Like, the cinematographer of this episode is uh, named Glenn Keenan, and uh, he will go on to do several more episodes of this season of Discovery, but he's also uh, been on camera for two of the Short Treks episodes. Oh, nice. He has done 17 episodes of Star Trek Discovery as a director of photography, so... Um, he's getting a lot to play with in Iceland. Yeah, no kidding. This stuff looks amazing. Um, yeah. I mean, this is, they, they showed a lot of like early images of this land and it's like, it's so cool to see Star Trek get the kind of budget that you need to go do international production like this. I mean, right. This has long been the purview of Star Wars, you know, like go to a totally exotic location and set it up as your alien planet. But this just, it just looks amazing. And it's like, it's so cool to see Star Trek characters walking around on the surface of an alien planet and it doesn't look like Burbank. Right. It looks practically alien in a really, like an enviable way. Like I wish I could shoot something there. It's, it just seems awesome. I've never been, have you? No, I would love to. Yeah. Michael manages to get to her feet and the suit takes itself off like as if like it chooses to do that. And it's fun because it kind of steps back off of her body <laughs> and then stands there erect. And and Michael like goes to the back of it and rips off an emergency kit like you'd find in the in the trunk of a car and and checks it out. Anytime you time travel, you're going to want to bring one of these with you. It's got some yeah. road flares, a kind bar, and uh, like one bucks. of those reflective blankets. <laughs> yeah, a hundred bucks and fives. <laughs> uh, yeah, she goes through like the full range of human emotions in this like five minute sequence. Like the painful struggle to like unbury herself, the mm-hmm. desperation to figure out where she is and if there's other life like she she asks you know the suit to scan for life forms and it says that there's lots of life forms detected and it's like the peak of triumph and joy It reminded me a little bit of the end of gravity like getting to to her feet and like talking herself through it and like, I, I wonder how much of the end of gravity influenced this opening sequence for this episode, that fall to the planet. Yeah. The the rising up. Pretty great. I mean, not every episode should or can be like this, but I think that this is a really amazing episode for her and a virtuosic performance because she goes everywhere in this episode. I was happy to cash my ticket on how quickly Sonequa Martin-Green would uh, would scream at top volume. Uh, <laughs> the over-under was three episodes. I bet the under. And, uh-huh. uh, I got that one out of the way. Yeah, that's a, that, that was a nice payout. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no one screams like SMG. She's no. just the best. She's got the pipes for it. Um, it's an amazing moment, and it's scream laughter and mm-hmm. triumph that I wondered... Is she interpreting that as life forms, meaning intelligent life? Like there's a city because there is a city here, but uh, I like the shorthand of like multiple life forms detected. Like I have watched a lot of Star Trek, surprise, surprise. And I, I was not expecting that reaction. Well, I think it's the pre-roll package that that telegraphs the significance of this, because in the pre-roll, we're reminded that 
for control to succeed in its mission, it will have killed all life in the universe everywhere. And so for there to be multiple life forms that Michael Burnham finds would suggest that the mission of destroying control was successful. That's such a great point. And I think that (laughs) this is a a bit me just trying to excuse my having not had that at front of mind as I sat down to watch this episode. But I think that that was a little bit undercut by the little uh, butterfly landing and the other bug eating Mm -hmm. it in the foreground in one of these shots. Like we already know that there's life forms on this planet. And I think that maybe that moment would have been more effective and more specific to the previous episode if they had not animated those little bugs into the foreground in that scene. Right. This is a show, though, that crafts those pre-rolls at the episode to come, like very specifically uh, with a lot of intentionality. Unfortunately, the wormhole is collapsing, and this is a, this is like a, a moment of reverie that's kind of interrupted. Michael Burnham snaps into action, and I know that the plan was always to send the suit back through the wormhole to signal Spock and Pike and company that, that they made it safely, and then the suit self-destructs on the other side. But man, when she <laughs> sent this thing back through the hole, I was like, you're going to want that suit, Michael. Like... Like, can't you take the helmet? Can't you strip, like, take take a couple of arms off of the suit, like anything, yeah. anything of value off of the suit? Because to be out there <laughs> without it on an alien planet, like, ratcheted up the danger level big time. I, and I think you see this on her face a little bit, like, like the feeling of being marooned right after the wormhole collapses is is very present in the moments that followed. She is really scattered. And the, and the pain sets in as if, as if like the adrenaline is worn off of that fall. Like she's clearly in pain and, and like she's got to like psych herself up to even stand and start walking. It's a real yeah. thing. She has to kind of like remind herself who she is, right? Like she, she kind of like is saying everything out loud to, to like center herself what's what's your name what's your rank what's your serial number what's the stuff in this kit my mouth tastes like clear barf because i've been time traveling and for no other reason <laughs> i bet she could use that guy's toothbrush from the cold open you know oh, yeah just yeah. Uh, stand in front of a thing get it done makes you kind of wonder what it's like to barf in 3188 or whatever because because like i don't know if laser would totally like clear you out the way a mouthful of sudsy toothpaste would God, the first dump after time travel has got to be so satisfying (laughs) (laughs) so she starts walking toward the the smoke rising on the horizon representing the crashed ship that she bonked when she came into this reality I love that she has a tricorder, but she uses dead reckoning to uh, (laughs) to head out there good for her yeah it's, uh, she's got some pride, you know? Yeah. Uh, she's like walking up to his ship. It cloaks itself. And then he, he's swinging this thing at her. He, he kind of gives himself up though. Cause he does that thing where he goes like to swing the wrench and she hears him and ducks out of the way. And they have a pretty good new era Star Trek fight here on the beach. Here's another merch idea for the Star Trek industrial complex. This thing he's he's wielding around looks like one of those, uh, like a bottle opener you buy at a tourist town <laughs> that, that, that has like two ends for opening bottles. Yeah. Like, why not just have a giant bottle opener like this with the mm. Star Trek logo on it? That sounds great. Would buy. $20. Done. I love his boomerang knife. Yeah, that was cool. That was fun. Are they fighting or are they flirting was a question that I had during this scene. And I think it's important to to consider this question in relation to how much danger you feel like Michael is in in this moment. Because I don't know about you, but I never felt like she was in danger in this fight. I didn't feel like she was in danger, but I just think that that's because she can handle herself. Like this yeah. guy yeah. Is, is not her equal in terms of fighting. Right. Uh 
but I didn't get flirt because he's so hostile to her initially. Like he does not want to know her name. He does not want to make her acquaintance. He doesn't want her excuses for why she came out of a space butthole and fucked his ship up. He's pissed. I mean, he's pissed in the way of like a person that just got rear ended on the highway, you know, like, like you just fucking ruined my day. I, I think it's flirting just because I come from the, the school of, of my mind and heart permanently being in sixth grade and you're mean to the person you actually like. <laughs> and and you see that constantly reinforced in movies and television where two extraordinarily beautiful people are on screen being mean to each other, but then secretly that's sexual tension, but you don't yeah. totally know what sexual tension is yet because you're in middle school. Why are relationships so difficult nowadays? I wonder why. <laughs> Anyway, this is not Terralesium, Ben. This is Hema. So uh, Michael Burnham is not where she wants to be. And Book isn't interested in giving directions to a person that is asking for directions. But she kind of puts on the puppy dog eyes. She explains that she like really, really, really needs help. And he appears to take some pity on her. He lets her into the ship. The ship seems very uncrashed on the inside. Yeah, looks pretty good. There's a lot of wood grain, wood grain and high tech, sort of a a dune kind of look about it. I I could appreciate. Yeah, that's kind of a look I'm going for with my new with my new office. Kind of a yeah. high tech wood grain Mixing situation. Materials. Yeah, a lot of nano nano filaments that you know come to life when you hover your hand over the controls. I'm just kind of trying to do it all. You know what I loved about this this tour of the ship scene is that uh, pelican cases still exist in the year 3188. <laughs> Buy that pelican stock right now, man. Yeah. There's always going to be a need for pelican cases. A friend of mine pointed out to me that the uh, that the containers that the tools made by the Festool company appear a lot in um, in the Expanse television program, and they're not even like putting a layer of gray spray paint on them or anything. It's just like literally a tan tool container with a green closure, like right off the shelf. <laughs> wow. The uh, Festool, the the company made famous by our friends at this old house. Right. Pretty thrilled to be here in Detroit to work on a house of our own. Michael Burnham does not know Book's name yet, but she does get to know his cat, Grudge. She's a Maine Coon. She's a big old cat. Grudge reminded me of a cat that a friend of me and my wife had. Anna was this cat's name. Anna was 35 pounds. Wow. And I'm going to send you a picture of Anna. That is a chonky cat. Uh, Just an enormous feline was Anna. (laughs) There's nothing funnier than the face of a cat uh, being held up by a proud cat dad. Yeah, it's weird. We get to know Grudge a little bit more than Book, but we we know from this scene how how pissed off Book is and why. And it's because his dilithium crystal is cracked. I guess he only has one. Right. And he has no recrystallizer. And not only that, he's on a schedule. He's got this he's got this cargo he's got to take to a place at a certain time and he has no way to do it. It's a real problem. So they're gonna have to go trade for dilithium at the mercantile, which is a settlement and they're gonna have to walk because the ship is out of commish and so they they take a what appears to be a very long walk uh across a pretty amazing alien landscape they take what i'm gonna call an exposition walk (laughs) (laughs) just enough time to uh give us a little more backstory yeah so here's the backstory at some point something happened called the burn the burn was when most but not all dilithium spontaneously exploded and you can do the math on what happened to all starships everywhere but uh but there's still a little bit of dilithium and so you trade for it at uh, at the mercantile Whenever all things everywhere are destroyed, people for some reason blame me. <laughs> it's pretty unfair. I mean, 
It's a reputation that I don't feel I've earned because only all of one thing everywhere was destroyed by me, and that does not constitute a pattern. In case you're wondering, and I know you are, <laughs> I am still alive in the year 3188. Made a couple of improvements to my Malibu beach house. <laughs> still married, and lovely wife Rashan. She disappeared at the end of that one episode, but the second they got out of there, I brought her right back. I couldn't, I couldn't stay away. I love Rashan. I hope and wonder that we see the flashback scene of the burn happening. Yeah. It seems like a show that would show that. Because when all your dilithium crystals spontaneously explode, it takes all the ships with them. Yeah. And, uh, and it's hard to have a federation without warp-capable ships. Or is it? Because that's the counterpoint that Michael Burnham comes down on at the end, that the federation is more than just ships and exploration. It's, it's a way of life, right. book. What you do is you find, you find an ensign to work beneath you and then an ensign below them. <laughs> maybe, maybe you find some friends and family to be a lieutenant and a captain and a commander. And before you know it, you get a federation. If you got enough engines in your downline, they'll give you a Mercedes. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the the shitty part about your your free starship that you get for uh, for for rising up the ranks of the Federation is you have to have that decal in the back window that says "Ask me about the Federation." And it's like a bone stock version yeah. of that of that starship, right? Like it's like sure, technically. It has the Mercedes logo on the hood, but it's like, I didn't know, even know they made this car with a cloth interior, and yet. Yeah. Book has kind of conflicting feelings about Starfleet and gestures to Michael Burnham's combat cleavage and was like, you might want to cover that up before we get to <laughs> the mercantile. You know, wearing that flag on that jacket, looking the way you do, you're asking for trouble around here, friend. Yeah, it's not that he's judgmental of it, but I kind of think that a lot of people are, and yeah, and that like people that rep Starfleet are are seen as kind of like starry-eyed, unrealistic idealists. Because the burn happened like 120 years ago, and the Starfleet has not been a thing for a long time, and people that rep Starfleet are kind of living in a fantasy world from Book's perspective. Like, it's, it's kind of fun to go to a Starfleet relay station for brunch, but, like, you don't want to stick around and, <laughs> and, like, get and like get the talking to from their people. It, it's, like, a real sales job after that. Yeah, yeah. And, that, I mean, like, the second they have your address, you will never stop getting pamphlets in the mail. <laughs> and then... <laughs> You yeah. get uh, you get a copy of their book, and then John Hodgman is collecting a bunch of your ephemera and doing bits about it. <laughs> yeah, we get I think one of the first Gaussian blurs to commercial break that I can remember seeing on this show. Wow, what a transition! I get the version of CBS All Access without the commercials, so it, it didn't even register. It just looked like a transition to me. I've got that too, but like. The the blur to black seemed like something I would drag into a timeline <laughs> uh, in Premiere, you know? Yeah. It seemed it seemed uh, unique. It's nice looking. Well, Adam, the Mercantile is a business started on a hip street in a major American city by a trust fund kid that sells like a lot of, um, you know, leather keychain fobs and... Uh, kind of overly expensive throw blankets for your couch uh, and like beard oil and stuff. Right. <laughs> they took a neighborhood that already had a culture and they displaced it uh, with their new one and all the property values went up. Right. Really sad story. I love that the ramp to the mercantile uh, goes out of the side of the screen. Like, we have no idea how long the ramp is that goes there, but it is, I don't know, miles? (laughs) It's like, it looks like there's like a, there's like an elevator up to it in the wide shot. And then, and -hmm. then you have to walk like an entire mile after the elevator to get into the mercantile, which is cantilevered out over a part of the city that has like less skyscrapers than the rest. Yeah. 
you're going to need a pass to get into the mercantile. And uh, there's sort of a subcutaneous ID checking process that happens here. Book has one. Michael Burnham doesn't. And that's a real problem for uh, the Andorian and the Orion uh, doormen there. These are a couple of guys who I feel like have been fully sketched out as characters. Like <laughs> pages and pages of backstory exist for Ithic and Ethor. Yeah. But, but what we get are a couple of scenes of them just like, <laughs> I love them. <laughs> yeah, they're great. Their banter's great. It's kind of a surprise to Michael Burnham that Andorians and Orions would be fucking with each other at all. Yeah. And they get past them pretty quickly by showing off the antiques that Michael is carrying in her phaser, tricorder, etc. I don't know what that is, and if I did, I wouldn't care. Michael's like, Mark Wahlberg's in there right now waiting to take a look at this. <laughs> and Book does that, does that thing of like, do you really want to go to your boss and tell them that you turned away this woman carrying all this valuable shit because she didn't have subcutaneous arm patch or whatever? And the way the mercantile works is that there's kind of the guys that run it, the this uh, this Orion and Andorian dude make deals with these couriers of which book is one, and then they they get paid in dilithium for going and getting the stuff. The way book explains the scene and how things work inside the mercantile, it seems like a place and an economy where Ferengi would really thrive. And I think because we don't see any Ferengi, uh, we can hypothesize that that we're very far away from any that would exist in this in this time, or that they're all dead. Maybe they all happen to be chewing on a piece of dilithium when, uh, when the burn happened. Yeah. So Book walks Michael to... To where they're ready to part ways and you know a deal's a deal Michael Burnham gives Book the tricorder and then is ensnared in a Wonder Woman lasso of a stasis beam and uh, and she's been landowed. Yeah. Book landos the hell out of her. It's a double cross. He fucked her over. And because this is CBS All Access Michael Burnham says that. You <laughs> fucked me over Book. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> It seems like kind of a long time goes by before Ithic and Ethor like come come find her. She's still yeah. she's still tied up and uh, Book had led her to the vault of the mercantile and so they assumed that she was trying to like hijack stuff from the vault and they're like what are you, like how the fuck did you even think you were going to get away even if your dumb plan to get in had worked? And she's not making with the answers so they bring in what I'm going to call a jazz drone. <laughs> Gives her a, a puff of something, and uh, it's kind of a, a truth serum, if you will. Uh, you and I texted each other when this moment happened. One word, Adam, and I'm sure, I'm sure Rob will edit in that word right here. Damn. Sonequa Martin-Green is funny, naturally funny. And this was this began a conversation you and I had offline, which was like, uh, she rarely gets to show this gear. And I'm just going to say it right now, like the campaign to put SMG on SNL starts now. Hashtag SMG number four SNL. Get it going on social media. We want to yeah. see SMG host SNL. She would kick so much ass. Hashtag SMG for SNL. There is a technique deployed here, Ben, that I also wanted to talk to you about, which is which just delighted me. So when you when you work with video, uh, you're often required to to smooth the motion that the camera has. Like if you're going handheld, yeah, and you don't have a, a a stabilizer, like an actual physical stabilizer on a camera. Oftentimes, when when you bring your footage into an edit, you'll smooth out that motion to take off, you know, some of the rougher bumps. But deployed in this scene, what's happened is that you've you've clicked Sonequa Martin Green's nose to <laughs> lock the motion tracking onto her, and so the frame follows her nose around. Yeah. It's such a great technique to to show what being drugged up is like. It's, yeah. 
it's really well done i also feel like they put the the settings of the of the stabilizing effect up a lot so that it like kind yeah. of jellos the the image a little bit it's, it's like warped in a way that is a little unrealistic and that's something that you're trying to avoid at all costs normally right but but here they're using it like like it's like a hendrix letting the distortion on his amp be an aesthetic choice right. what delighted me was like seeing what i would consider a mistake be used for a benefit it's yeah it's really fun it's really cool looking. She goes on quite the little rant. I'm going to kill you pretty soon. The one thing I noticed her saying was, don't give whatever this is to Tilly. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows what would happen? Because yeah. this is like a, a Tilly effect. Totally. This drug. They get out of her, though, that uh, that book has some cargo that is valuable and heat sensitive. So they take her with them when they beam to find him. And uh, this turns into kind of a standoff with them and her and Book and a bunch of gendarme in the mercantile. And this is when Cosmo shows up and he wants to he wants permission to kill Book. And uh, they are a little scandalized by the fact that Cosmo fa- figured out a way to get a gun into their mercantile, which, you know, we had a whole scene establishing that that was hard to do. Uh-huh. <laughs> Things aren't going great for either of them. This is a this is a perfect opportunity for Michael and Book to make eye contact with each other and realize that the plan is going to be start throwing haymakers at everyone and steal guns and dual wield and just like escape. These phasers look like sockumbopper phasers to me that that just fit <laughs> over your fist. Yeah. I like that. The elegant design. But it's so hard to hold anything straight out in your arm for any length of time that like when I was watching the actors work with these, it doesn't matter how light these phasers are. You're going to get so tired doing scene after scene, take after take, holding these things straight out. This is a pretty great gunfight. I think that they have a lot. Uh, a lot more work to do with this, but so far have made a lot of fun choices about what a thousand years after the events of the first two seasons might look like in the Star Trek universe. One thing that happens is like a holographic kiosk gets hit and it like, it turns into like a geyser of like nano particles or something like it, this like weird foam comes out of it everywhere. Yeah. I just love that. Like the mess that's being made is like, a totally weird future mess, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I like that too. We'll never know what was in that pipe. <laughs> Stuff is breaking in all kinds of weird, unexpected ways. Michael and Book are a pretty good gunfight team and mm-hmm. managed to turn this into not just a gunfight, but also a dilithium heist. Her experience with the drugs is starting to wear off because of all the adrenaline and she spots a tray full of dilithium crystals and goes and like sweeps them into a bag and uh and they get out of there using books like portable personal transporter device it's a weird version of a car chase because it's a transport chase where (laughs) book and michael burnham jump and then their their assailants follow them momentarily after And then they jump again and again. And it's a great way to see a bunch of different uh, scenes in in Iceland, for sure. Totally. (laughs) And what's great is because they're going to different parts of the planet, every part they go to is like magically lit. It's it's the perfect time of day to shoot wherever they're at. It's it's sunset behind a waterfall and then it's like overcast gray sand in every direction place. And then it's like golden hour cliffside yeah yeah lots of lots of different fun looks i love that there's a morn chasing them yeah i've never seen a morn move this fast yeah there were a bunch of lurians in the in the mercantile too and a bunch of different weird kinds of aliens yeah i mean if there's a lurian there's got to be a ferengi close by right you'd think you'd really think so speaking of jumping (laughs) Uh, Their last jump is off a cliff and underwater is where they appear. This was a technique that Book used to obscure 
their eventual location, but it's not going to last forever, crucially. It's, it just buys them a little bit of time. Time to dry off. Time to dry off. Time for Michael Burnham to punch him in the nose. And time for Book to take off his shirt. Yeah. And uh, and do a prayer to the water plant. Very uh, Very strange moment here. He has some like little iridescent things that light up on his forehead and he's able to coax a plant out of the water. Another the abyss looking moment. And uh, this is some kind of, I don't know, space aloe that he wants Michael Burnham to rub in the cuts on her on her arm from where she was shot. By the end of the episode, you understand that Book is kind of a Temple Grandin type with plants and animals. He, he can really speak to all of them. Yeah. And, and you know, if the plant didn't impress you, then getting back to the ship and getting, you know, getting dropped on by these uh, these mercantile dudes again will because uh, the, the cargo that he's transporting is a dino. It's a dino from the trailer. The angle makes it look like there's a poop emoji up in this enclosure, <laughs> though. Yeah, that's true. This is an iridescent manatee uh, <laughs> known as a trance worm. And uh, we get a really fun uh, Ark of the Covenant opening moment when Book is like, close your eyes, Marion. Because <laughs> yeah. when this thing comes out, it, it hypnotizes uh, their assailants and, uh, and just starts eating them one by one. Yeah. A lot of them get eaten up, including Ethor and Ithic, the... Some of their henchmen are able to are able to get away, but uh, Michael and Book are in the clear after this, and uh, they get to meet the transworm. The transworm likes to, you know, it's like a dog, you know, likes likes to uh, meet people by putting them all the way inside of it. I thought it was a little on the nose when when Book introduces the transworm, and then Darude's sandstorm starts playing as it <laughs> as it ate all of the guys one by one. I mean, it's a great track, but. Is it still cool in uh, in the year 3188? Yeah. Imagine the residuals. After the scene, we're back on Book's ship, and the reason we're there is because of a scene that I think we hopped over earlier. Like, Book and, and Michael Burnham have a talk where Book obviously pegs her as a time traveler and... Uh, casually lets it slip that all time travel tech was destroyed and outlawed in the temporal wars. So good luck trying to find uh, another time suit. You don't have another one of those, do you, Michael? You sent your only one back, didn't you? Yeah. You really fucked it up. I mean, she's still just trying to make contact with Discovery and like has, like he's been sort of leading her along. Like her whole pretext for going to the mercantile was get on subspace with the disco. Yeah. And books had the tech the whole time. And unfortunately, she can't. She can't raise them. She she can't get in touch. And <laughs> there's a pretty amazing moment where she's like, "Yeah, we actually had to save the entire universe uh, in the past, and like then coming to this point in time was the only way out." And he's like, "Wow, well, I guess thanks for saving the future. That was cool." <laughs> books like, "Yeah, I guess I can give you a lift." <laughs> <laughs> they end up going to. Uh, a planet where these iridescent manatee live. Yeah. Because they've they've scooped up the guy that they had in the cargo and they and they take it back to its home planet and and the waters are just teeming with these iridescent manatees and it's breeding season, Ben, which means yeah. there's about to be a bunch of iridescent cum <laughs> shooting around in that water. Book is kind of a one man space epa i would say <laughs> like the uh this is an endangered species that used to be very widespread and now there's not that many of them left you're not going to need a black light on this planet after <laughs> after a couple of days yeah but that's why it was so important to to save this this trance worm and yeah so she's explaining like she's she's stuck here in the future but can't make contact with her people but he has an idea of maybe somebody that could help and that is uh, the guy that we met at the very beginning of the episode. That's right. The, the bookend scene is nigh. 
book and, and Michael Burnham board the remains of a Federation relay station where they find this guy from the beginning. His name is uh, Aditya Sahil, and he's ready to help. He's just, it's, it's another day, another day like like the first day we saw. He meets Michael and Book. He he scans the system and, and finds only two Federation ships for that the Discovery isn't one of them. Michael's like, what the fuck? Like, why can't you get the Discovery on there? And it's because he can only scan short range. They're not plugged in across lots and lots of star systems because of this warp problem, presumably. Um, I mean, like the potential of the discovery in a relatively high cost warp environment is is starting to really dawn on me. You know, like if if they have a unique ability to move around the galaxy, that's even more impressive in this timeline than in the timeline they came from. That's kind of a big deal. Right. All they need to do is get some floor squeegees in the spore box get uh, get what's his name's remains out of there they're back in business once the <laughs> discovery arrives yeah it's gonna be great this guy is kind of he's almost like a monk of starfleet he's he's sort of he doesn't have a rank but he his father and his father's father were were starfleet people and he's just kind of been keeping the vigil of hoping a starfleet person will show up and like when she introduces herself as commander michael burnham it is like, I, I feel like this actor plays this as a religious moment. I agree. I think there is a costuming language to this guy that that feels very monastic mm-hmm. as well. Right down to his shoes, Ben. Did you check out the shoes? They were like... Uh, Monk straps, baby. <laughs> Monk straps. I, I, that didn't, I didn't notice the straps, but... Uh. Yeah, I see you. I see a Gersha Phillips. Mm-hmm. I love how there's there's a there's a cultural exchange here happening. So Michael has shown him hers, and now he is going to show her his, and his story is pretty sad. He's got a sting amount of tantric ambition having to do with this flag on his desk. <laughs> he can't get it up himself uh, because he's not real Starfleet, and so Michael Burnham. Uh, gives him the gift of a field commission and, and goes, why don't you go to that wall and blast, buddy? <laughs> so that flag goes up and finally this character achieves relief. The flag is raised, the music swells, and that's the end of episode one, season three. Did you like the episode, Adam? I think I liked it more having talked it through with you. I think it's an episode filled with great moments. But when I really think about its construction, I think I come down on it like this. Like, backstory isn't story. Otherwise, it would be story. So when we trace the episode from beginning to end, what is it really? Like, Michael Burnham lands. She needs someone, so she finds that person. She needs to exchange something in order to get what she needs. Uh, but they return basically to square one at the end, and it's really the bookends that tell the A story, and everything in the middle is sort of elevated B, which is interesting. Like, mm-hmm. I think one of the problems with this episode actually stems from the thing that that Star Trek Discovery does really well. It is so great at emotional catharsis that when you have emotionally extreme scenes uh, at the bookends, because you're retroactively understanding the emotion of the beginning by the ending, and then fill the middle with with kind of a, a field-commissioned A story, the middle doesn't live up to the potential of, of the huge emotional swing of its ending. And I know that's not fair. Like, it's not fair to judge the beginning and the middle against the power of the end. But that's what you do, I think, when you make an ending this great. When when the music swells and you get that that moment of triumph with this guy, the relief of finding other Starfleets. Like it was really emotional for me. But but nothing in the rest of the episode lived up to that. 
you see what I'm trying to say? Like, like the ending is almost too good for the rest of the episode. And, <laughs> and, it, and it almost, it, and it's unfortunate almost that it's like that. I mean, I liked what a weird episode it was. I feel like choosing not to have the rest of the cast in this episode was, I, I hated it because after seeing that, that pre-roll, I was like, oh, I can't wait to see what Tilly's up to and Stamets and all the fucking weirdos mm-hmm. from the, the disco. Like, like what are we what are we going to find out about all of them and mm-hmm. the fact that this episode like withholds that i feel like is one of the strongest things about it this is a technology that that this series does though like it forces you to wait until you have more puzzle pieces to really render an actual judgment so like yeah. it feels impossible to judge the episode uh in a conventional way the way we normally would because there's just so much that isn't there and that's why i think my my did you like portion is like, I don't want it to come off as, as negative. It's not, it's just, it made me notice it's construction in an interesting way. Yeah. But I'm, I'm with you. I like it quite a bit. Yeah. I like it too. You want to see if we have any priority one messages on this episode of the greatest discovery? I hope someone jumped on the P ones cause we've got a brand new series and we've got P ones to pack. <laughs> Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Ben, our first priority one message is from Adam. You're Riker in all the ways, and it is to Allie, my one and only goober. <laughs> the message goes like this. Love you so much, Allie, my lover with the glorious butt. Thank you for... <laughs> thank you so much for introducing me to these podcasts and Star Trek. Whoa. Can't think of a better way to celebrate our anniversary than Kevin Uxbridge talking about all the dirty things we are going to do together. <laughs> Love you, Allie. Adam and Allie, I can't just talk about one dirty thing we're going to do with each other. I have to talk about all dirty things everywhere. You know, the thing that happened to Rashan that I told to Captain Picard was that, uh, the Hushnak were responsible for her death, but uh, what I was too ashamed to say was that she died during a freak sex accident <laughs> where uh, I, I became a little too involved in myself in that exact moment and uh, things became very dangerous for Rashan in a way that I regret. Something that destroyed all life on the planet that we inhabited. I blamed unfairly on the Hushnak when really it was my own reaction to that ass. I guess what I'm trying to say is uh, mind your climax. (laughs) (laughs) And we have another priority one message here. It is from Future Daniels and it's to double dumbass on you Daniels. This is for Ben and Adam. And it goes like this. I can prove I'm from the future. A disco season three cameo will make you cry. New Worlds is a joy. And the less said about section 31, the better. There'll be times when you want to give up, but fear not. Your best work is ahead of you, and Enterprise is some of the best pod you've ever given. P.S. Not sure if it's happened yet, but you'll never find out if that angry P1 was from Rick Berman. <laughs> Ooh. Wow. I can't remember if we had an angry P1 or not yet. Yeah, maybe it's coming. I mean, Rick Berman's money spends, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. If you are Rick Berman and angry, you can get a priority <laughs> one message by going to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron. It's 100 bucks for a personal message and 200 for a commercial message, and we really appreciate it. The, the merch item that I want to design and sell is, is the bumper sticker that says, I'm Rick Berman, and I'm angry. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think of when you think of male grooming? Maybe it's a sharp haircut and a little bit of product. Or a bit of the old beard wax twisted into the ends of a mustache. Maybe it's a shower, a shave, a little spritz of fragrance. Me? I think of shaving my nuts. And not just my nuts, all around those nuts. I'm talking all around those nuts. And this form of male grooming is hard to do when your junk looks like a log of Play-Doh rolled through a dustpan in a barber shop. It's wrinkly, it's wriggly, nothing stays in place, and it's the one area 
where you don't want to have an accident. That's why I'm glad we're sponsored by the spring cleaning champions at Manscaped. They sent me their brand new lawnmower 5.0 Ultra. It's their fifth generation trimmer, featuring two interchangeable next-gen skin-safe blade heads, a standard one for taking a little bit off the top, and a new foil blade to go smooth wherever your heart desires. They also sent me an extra-large Manscaped t-shirt, which I will never wear, but it was nice of them to do. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code TREK at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping with the code TREK at manscaped.com. Nothing like a little spring cleaning in your pants. I have tried so many meal services over the years. After all, I am a podcast host. And I gotta tell you, Factor Meals is my favorite. Why? Because I can go from what am I gonna have for dinner to eating a great dinner in exactly two minutes with Factor Meals. And don't sleep on their smoothies either. I got six of these in the box this week. Mango, tropical fruit, strawberry or banana. They're all amazing. They're like meal supplements I can enjoy while I'm on the go. Head to factormeals.com slash trek50 and use the code trek50 to get 50% off. Again, that's the code trek50 at factormeals.com slash trek50 to get 50% off. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Hey, Ben. What's that, Adam? Did you discover yourself in Edward Larkin? I suppose I'm going to give it to Cosmo, because I feel like Cosmo kind of fucks shit up in that he is clever and crafty enough to get the gun into the mercantile, but then completely shows his ass by pulling that gun in a very public part of the mercantile on book. I feel like Cosmo could have, could have gotten a lot of like way bigger shit for his trouble sneaking yeah. that gun in there. And in, instead is focused on some kind of retribution with book. So uh, he is my Edward Larkin for this episode. How about you? I couldn't decide between Ethor and Ithic. <laughs> Can I make them both my Edward yeah. Larkin? I think they're 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 a package deal. All right, I'm going to do that. I I really like both of them. I like both of them together. Uh, RSVP, Ethor and Ithic. <laughs> <laughs> we hardly knew you. Killing Darth Maul in episode one. What are you doing? <laughs> they each have character Bibles like 40 pages long and now they're dead. So <laughs> good <Yeah>. work. <laughs> Too bad. Yeah. Big fun. Liked them quite a bit. And if they're a sign of ancillary characters to come, then uh, really liking this universe. Yeah. Adam, tell me about what we've got coming up on the greatest discovery because you have seen episode two is there a way you can characterize it without being spoilery i think i can i i don't remember seeing the preview but uh there's no preview on the end of the episode as far as i can tell here's what i'll say about episode two uh the people that you missed in episode one uh you will see again oh good 
Okay. I'm hoping to see them again. I don't think it's a it's a spoiler to say that uh, the cast of Star Trek Discovery will return <laughs> in season three of Star Trek Discovery, <laughs> and that the next episode is that episode. If you do feel like that was a spoiler, uh, <laughs> right into go fuck yourself at Max Funkenstein.sex. Yeah. yeah, that's the place. Wow. Well, that was a that was a giant cat of an episode, a premiere episode from you and me. Uh, pretty excited to get back on the disco horse here with you. Yeah, we got a dozen more episodes before we're done with this season, and uh, I'm really looking forward to it. Me too. Good start. We're going to leave it with Rob's from here. The Greatest Discovery is a Maximum Fun podcast hosted by Adam Pranica and Ben Harrison. The show is produced by me, Rob Schulte. Our theme music is by Adam Ragusia, who happens to have a wonderfully helpful and awesome cooking channel on YouTube. Go check it out. If you're looking for more Trek, check out our plethora of episodes in the back catalog. There's a lot to discover. Don't forget, you can now follow us on Twitter and Instagram under the handles Greatest Trek. Those accounts are run by the great card daddy, Bill Tilly. Thanks, Bill. If you'd like to support this podcast, make sure that you head to MaximumFun.org slash join, where you will get all of our bonus episodes, as well as all of the bonus content brought to you by Maximum Fun. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week with another episode of The Greatest Discovery. MaximumFun.org Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.